SEO is basically a huge part of my life because as I said, I've been doing it for over a decade and it has helped me to, first of all, like find all the jobs that I had, like all normal jobs that I had. Then after I moved to Canada, it helped me to find a job in my niche because I know that many people, when they come as immigrants, they have to work at, at different jobs, right? That are very different from what they used to do in their home country, right? So I was really lucky because SEO does not require any certification. Like for example, if you're a lawyer or something like that, it's so much trickier. So SEO helped me a lot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung, and today I have a very special person with a very special job title that I've been asked to introduce her by. Her name is Christina Azarenko. She's calling in from Canada, and she is an SEO hero. So, Christina, why don't you introduce to our lovely listeners who you are, what you do, and explain what SEO hero is. Thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm really happy to be here and I'm really happy um, about this episode. I'm, I think that you'll get really amazing uh, information out of it. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Christina Zarenko. I am in Canada. I moved here uh, a little bit over four years ago and I've been doing SEO for over a decade. So <laughs> it's a long time. Um, I th Throughout these 10 years, I was working at the agency, um, I was working full-time in-house, and also I was an SEO freelancer, then I was an SEO consultant, and recently I moved to a role of SEO course creator and content creator. Hence, I'm calling myself SEO hero because just SEO course creator doesn't sound cool. Um, yeah, so that's me. Amazing. Let's dive through that 10 years of experience because well, there's, there's so much insight that I think you have to share. First of all, because you said you transitioned from an SEO con freelancer to a consultant. In your opinion and experience, what does that mean and what are the differences between the two? Oh, I love this question, honestly. Uh, so um, in my opinion, when you're just starting working with clients, it's okay to like to be freelancer, call yourself freelancer. But what I find is that um, there, is, there are some connotations behind a name freelancer, which sometimes means that you're not uh, you're not completely basically you are not partnering with your clients, but you try to please their needs. And there is no judgment from my side how you call yourself. Uh, choose whatever works for you. But that's just what I found uh, for myself. That's what I found when I was talking with my friends. So if people understand you saying I'm a freelancer better, then that's okay. Um, but at some point, when you want to increase your pricing, when you want to position yourself uh, so that you stand out um, from the crowd, I'd highly suggest you to rename yourself to consultant, to maybe uh, something like that versus freelancer. Um, yeah, so that's my opinion. It's just, first of all, like you, when you're a freelancer, you need to be uh, good at your job. When you're a consultant, you need to be great at your job. So it comes with experience. It comes with uh, the amount of uh, business skills and the amount of the skills like your expert skills you have. 
so you definitely need to level up all the time uh but yeah just uh, consultant is a much better spot to be compared to freelancer in my opinion again no judgment from my side oh no i 100% mirror your same experience because semantics does matter when it comes to positioning and we're talking about marketing yeah. after all and it's interesting because I used to, in my homepage title tag, it would be SEO freelancing because that had the most search volume. That was what most people search for. However, I, I similar to you, I realized as a freelancer, you're positioning yourself, as you said, as a someone who, as a third party, just does all the things. Uh, you yeah. may not, they're not really hire you for expertise. You're kind of like added support. And exactly, now when I do- exactly. And now when I'm doing consulting work, which is very rare because I'm too busy with my in-house work, I don't actually execute anything. All I do is come in, I don't like the words, using the word audit, but it, it's along those lines where I come in and I understand what's going on and why and when, and then make recommendations based on that. But I don't actually fix the things. And that's a very interesting take. And I want to see what are your opinions around that? I think so. Okay, I'll tell you um, a short story about that because um, when I started, uh, when I started doing SEO uh, for clients on my own, when I started my basically freelancer consulting uh, company, I started with fixing things for people, and there is nothing bad about that. And you actually need to start there. Um, at that point, of course, I already have enough had enough uh, experience because I was working full time for like 10 years before that or eight years, whatever. Uh, so you definitely need to start from like actually going to the website as an SEO and fixing things and checking things. And you should have your own website where you can test a few things. So you definitely need to understand that in order to get to the next point, next um, uh, stepping stone. And I once had a, uh, had a conversation with a potential client and he came to me and I was very excited. I really wanted to work with them because they were selling some uh, things for uh, dogs and I have a dog, so I'm a, I'm a dog person. So I was like, oh my God, I would be so excited to work with them. And they were e-commerce business too, uh, which was my, uh, my niche, uh, e-commerce SEO. And then during our conversation, he said, well, I need you to do uh, this and this and this for my website. And I was like, okay, cool, but I don't implement. So I can give you recommendations. Uh, I can build your strategy, but do you have someone on your team who is going to execute on it? And he was like, well, I don't. Like, So I hire you and you tell me what to do. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And at first, I so I finished the call. And at first I was thinking like, oh my God, I'm a very bad person. I am a, I'm a bad SEO. I definitely not going to implement the, the uh, recommendations myself, but am a, does it make does it make me a bad SEO? And it was a question for me, but then because I didn't I didn't realize this difference. But then when I answered myself with this like with this understanding that I do not implement, not because I can't but just I find that I serve, at this point of my experience, I served clients much better doing more strategic work and making sure that um, I give recommendations that are properly uh, formed and that are properly prioritized so that their 
um, their employees can implement those recommendations. It was so much better at this point. And if you saw, <laughs> if you saw Daniel, he was just clapping. Now he was nodding his head and then clapping. So <laughs> I think I'm saying uh, saying the right things. But for me, these were the right things, definitely. So if you find at some point that you serve your, your clients much better by providing recommendations to them versus going to the like code and their website and implementing those title text changes, well, start being a consultant and uh, recommend versus implement. Oh, as you said, I was just clapping and nodding because that, that's exactly <laughs> a very live demonstration of how a career progresses in SEO. First, you do all the things by finding what all those things are. Then you implement and see what changes they make, if any. Then as time passes, and it could be a few years, for some people it's a bit quicker, for some people it's a bit longer, it's a personal preference, then you realize which ones are important. And that's also reflective of my, you know, my, I have three and a half years experience of agency side, which to a lot of people is very short, but I learned a lot. But my strengths are in communication and in prioritization. So when I moved in-house, the first thing I did was, okay, I had a technical checklist in my head. I went through them. And then it was just figuring out which ones are important. It's more important which ones you don't tell the client than the ones you do because you don't want to overwhelm oh, someone. yeah. And that's mm -hmm. where that title of consultant comes in as you said it's not it's not the sense that we don't know how to implement it's it's knowing which fires to put out when and why because that is what someone's paying you for and fyi i charge a lot for being a consultant because i already have a day job i like you have a dog and i want to spend time with my wife i don't really want to be testing things on a live site or a staging site that's not my area of expertise or passion it's coming in, solving a problem, and then see you later, goodbye, that's $2,500 a day. Thank you. And they can find someone at a much cheaper rate for someone who wants to implement, and everybody wins. So that's my perspective, and some people may not like that and go, oh, Daniel, you charge too much, and you don't do anything. Technically speaking, I don't do anything, but they're paying me for my brain, and that's kind of what I feel as though a consultant does. Exactly. I find that there is a lot of shaming uh, in the industry, and I'm not talking only about the SEO industry. You will find this everywhere because, because people um, will look at you and will hear what you're saying through their own projections. So it might be even you as a listener Someone listening to this, like, oh my God, 2.5K for a day? Oh my God, he, he must be insane. But guess what? If people are ready to pay for this, then why not? Especially you don't start from this uh, on day one. You work hard to get there. So yeah, I think that um, in terms of shaming, I think that you should only think what's better for you and what makes sense um, in terms of the market, right? And uh, in terms of your business, uh, in terms of your personal brand, uh, the time that you have, you always need to account of all of these things. But just don't think about what other people think about your prices. Because I've heard it a lot, like, what? Does anybody pay this? And I was like, well, yeah. But <laughs> exactly. And you're right. It exists in every single field. Like before I was an SEO, I was a wedding photographer and that's very similar. Oh, Everyone's essentially a freelancer. Uh -huh. And 
And I, I think I annoyed a lot of my colleagues in my industry here in Sydney because I was always pushing the envelope of charging more. It's like similar to agencies, similar to freelancers, where you think charging by hour makes more sense, but then you become your time becomes a commodity. I'm not here mm-hmm. just spending 9, 10, 16 hours for photographing your wedding. I'm bringing all my experience to know when to take photographs, when not to, when to solve problems that are happening on your wedding day as opposed to just waiting for photos to happen. And that's the same with SEO. I feel as though, actually, I don't know where I was going with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I think you brought up a really important point about uh, hourly billing. For me, it's nuts. Well, it does work in certain situations and in certain points. But in general, you need to be get out of hourly billing as soon as you can if you're an expert. If at some point, again, there is nothing bad about being hands for someone uh, for someone in their business, like they want this, this, and that, and you come there and um, you experiment, like you implement those those things. But then your goal is to specialize and to become expert in some particular field so that you can package it and you can sell it uh, not at an hourly rate. And guess what? When you work at hourly rates, clients are clients tend to micromanage you. They, I mean, it's insane. And sometimes you can, for example, um, I had I had a client, so I did a Google Analytics audit for them. And I think that in the end, when I, um, I I used to log all my uh, hours just for myself, like never share it with clients because that's not what they pay for again. But um, I was just uh, trying to become more efficient. So I was logging my hours and I realized that I actually priced this, that project so that my hourly quote unquote rate was about $1,000. If I told a client like that my hourly rate is going to be $1,000, that would be insane for them. But here's the thing. Just before that audit, I did a couple of more before and I created my checklist. I created my processes. So I knew exactly what to do. So it took me just five hours instead of, for example, if they hired someone else with uh, not not as much experience as as I had without those processes. It could easily take them two weeks. But if you charge like the same amount for two weeks, it's like, oh my God, it's cool. So they must be doing something. Well, if you manage to become efficient enough so that instead of instead of two weeks, you would need to just to spend five hours, you do not need to be penalized for that by your hourly rate. That's the main point. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> Me too, me too. It's like, I I understand where hourly billing comes from. It's how a lot of people try to understand the mechanics of charging and paying for a service or product. But where it breaks down is that, what if I'm really efficient? Am I then, as you said, penalized for being fast and being good at what I do? And on the flip side of that, it's just like writers who charge per word. Then it's like, do I just string it out longer so that I can bill you more. And that's Exactly. I I think it happens a lot in the smaller business space where the budgets are lower and I understand why. Um and trying to pitch a value-based or a project-based pricing can be difficult. 
like just for a recent consulting gig, I gave them my day rate and I scoped it out to be approximately five days worth of my time, even though that's going to be spread across maybe six to seven weeks. And they have all, they, of course, they asked me, okay, so what are the deliverables? So there's, there's languages that you can develop to communicate better. Yes, my day rate is this, or this is the value base, but these are the deliverables and this is what you can achieve afterwards when I deliver it. But when you frame it as, and this is just my opinion anyway, hourly rate, it's, it, it's ongoing. It's, it never ends. At what point is, what's the difference between 40 hours, between 38 hours, between 35 to 60? It, it all becomes a bit of an arbitrary mess, in my opinion anyway. Exactly. And I would say, so I am a business owner too. So I have my business and I hire people. So I get to see this from the other side as well. I do hire people for hourly rates sometimes, but that's like, for example, virtual assistants, they complete the tasks that I need them to complete. I create the processes and they follow these processes. So like they're mostly admin management tasks. They are not coming into my business to solve my questions, so solve my issues, right? They are coming to my business to uh, take some things off my plate while I already created processes for them to do so. And in most of the cases, even with VAs, what I see when they try many things, the trajectory for them is to specialize in something and then package their services. So what I'm saying is that you try you see what what works for you and then you specialize you niche down and then you price your services differently because uh on the other hand when some when sometimes people come to me like for example when i work with copywriters um i what i say to them like really straightforward from the beginning i say i don't care how much time you'll spend on it i just need this result and for example i did i have i had an audit done for my landing page and well I don't care if this person uh, person spent 30 minutes or three hours or three days. I was okay with the pricing, even though like if they earned like $500 per 30 minutes, I don't care. They delivered the result that I wanted. They are expert in this field. So yeah, that's what I want as a business owner. And the same comes when you are a, a consultant, right? You need to understand business people. You need to understand um, your prospects, what they are saying. And you also need um, need to look for clues. Uh, for example, if they're looking for just hands, so to say, right? Uh, you need to look for red flags in this respect. So uh, that's important too. Oh, you, you said red flags. Let's go there. What are... <laughs> I mean, we, we've, we've both experienced this, so we can talk about it. What are the common red flags that one should look for when they're pitching their services for a potential client? Yeah, so um, I actually so I actually have um, a like short course, which is called Freelancing Freedom and um, on my gun road. And one of the things that I uh, tell people there about red flags, so there are two types of red flags. One type of red flags is universal. So, for example, if a prospect is yelling at you, like some uh, very intense red flag, right? Uh, this is a red flag. You don't want to work with them. If they are um, late for the call and they don't have a reason for that, they just like don't value your time. Or if they, uh, for example, reach out to you and say, 
you, for example, never met them, and then they message you on LinkedIn and say, can we have a call today? I need someone today. Well, no, <laughs> because it means that they will not value your time afterwards too, right? So, or people who don't want to pay your uh, pricing, people who even, no matter how, how much you charge, or people who tell you, oh, can you do this for free? But I have friends of my friends of my friends who I can refer you to. Like, these are... And trust me, Daniel is nodding, right? Like face it to I see, I see that you guess what I'm saying. So yeah, these are universal uh, red flags. What you need, um, what you need to look out for. And the second, um, the second part of red flags would be uh, the flags that are um, basically your inside of your business, right? So what you found with clients. So for me, for example, if someone if someone came to me and said like that I was their last resort, like last chance to keep the business, no, that was a red flag for me because they can't put so much pressure uh, and responsibility on me. I'm not their business. They should take responsibility for their business themselves. Other things would be like, yeah, when people are late for the calls. Oh my God, I actually had a full <laughs> a full list of those. Um, yeah, I can't think about any specific uh, things in my... I mean, the, even like the language. Um, okay, here is the thing. Um, the interview, uh, the uh, sales call is not for in, an interview for yourself. It's like a two-way conversation where you are interviewing clients as well. And when I had sales conversations, when where people um, with the, the words they used, they expected me to, to basically perform for them and surprise them and like to do these kind of things, that was a red flag for me. Uh, and I quickly realized that I am so much more efficient when I can filter out people who I uh, jump on call, calls with earlier in the process than jumping on the call on the calls with them, going through like stressful, uh, stressful sales calls, and then getting nothing of that. It was good when I was like learning to do sales calls, but then you need to quickly filter out this using red flags. I love it. And so my takeaway from that amazing story of yours, Christina, is comes down to, again, experience. You need to make enough mistakes to realize what works and what doesn't work for you. And you know, when it comes to professional services, a lot of candidates or prospects, they, they expect you to do a whole bunch of analysis and homework in that initial discovery call. And in the yeah. beginning, you might want to do that, maybe just to highlight what you're good at and understand for yourself how good you are. But once you have developed some understanding and expertise and you can have some form of recurring revenue because I come from a place of privilege. Uh, for some listeners, it may not be as simple. You do need to make dollars to pay the bills. I get that. Uh, but when you reach a certain point in your career where you are good at what you do, you need to be picky. Uh, and that's how you avoid burning out and not hating what you do. And that's what happened to me. My wedding photography business is that I said yes to too many things that I shouldn't have. There were clear red flags that I ignored because I was just chasing the next invoice. And I ignored all the things that I saw that I knew they weren't a good fit for my personal preferences. So thank you for sharing, Christina. 
Yeah, Which I love it. Me. Sorry, no, I just really wanted to point out that I really loved the way how you worded uh, about mistakes. So experience, I don't, I can't recollect the exact wording, but I really loved it because experience come from many mistakes that you're making. And if you, if you just, instead of uh, being mad at yourself or being mad at people or going into a victim position, if you take responsibility for this and ask yourself, what can I learn from this? then, oh my God, you'll learn things really quickly and proceed basically in your SEO or any other field trajectory, career tra trajectory, much faster. Yes, so I'm going to refer to one of my favorite painters, Bob Ross. <laughs> Was he, he doesn't say mistakes, they're happy accidents. And, and that's how <laughs> I have come to view life. It, it's taken me 37 years to get to this stage to to see things a certain way. Uh, and it's not as simple as waking up and deciding life is good. You know, from a lot of people, life isn't great. There are a lot of things that are beyond your control that make life very challenging. Uh, but for me, it was day by day working on myself. And like, as you said, it's treating these not so good experiences in life and looking back and go, what could have, what could I have done differently? Could I have done anything differently? Sometimes it's not of any fault of your own, and that's okay. But if you can find the silver lining, if you can find some positivity in it, then that compounds across time. And that was my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to clap. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, I think I first came across you, and, and I'm going to be honest here, I'm a bit starstruck talking to you, Christina, because... I came across you very early on in my agency career, and I came across your Chrome extension, mm -hmm. which is the SEO extension pro, or is it SEO, SEO pro, pro extension? extension? Yeah. Pitch it. Go for it. Because I think everyone who <laughs> uses Chrome who wants to do SEO needs to have it. Yeah. So, um, okay. <clears throat> Ta -da -da. Well, honestly, uh, the SEO Pro extension is a free tool which is currently available for Chrome. It's going to be available for uh, Firefox too at some point soon, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it's the extension that helps uh, save SEOs hours of hours of hours weekly and monthly. Uh, it shows you it shows you quickly in just one click all the information about on-page SEO, about like title tags, um, H1 tags, about canonicals, meta robots, like all the amazing things that you need to check, plus redirect chains. I mean, there are too many to name <laughs> now, but there are over 30k active users. So it must be good. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to save time doing your daily SEO tasks, you can just download it. Just Google SEO Pro extension uh, and yeah, install it. It's totally free. And it's totally amazing because prior to coming across your extension, I was manually crawling websites with Screaming Frog to find these exact things. Or I was going oh to the God. source code and then zooming in to try and find where's the canonical tag? Oh, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> and then having that that status of oh it's a 301 oh there's two 301s or there's a 302 yeah like as you said it just saves you so much time so if you are learning seo this this is an amazing tool so just visit all sorts of websites and go what's happening it's really cool 
And it's okay, also so we're in the last. Vitals. Oh, oh, call it vitals. <laughs> well, should we go there? <laughs> <laughs> no, we shouldn't. It's, it's a different topic for a different podcast. <laughs> it is. But putting on my consultant hat, it's one of the things that I can't fix. I can show you these are all the problems, but it's going to cost you a lot of money and developer resources to fix it. So I usually say it's not that much of a big deal, but of course, Martin and John will disagree with me. <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> exactly. It's a prioritization problem. Okay. So we're in the last, we're, we're kind of on the home run here. So I want to explore further for you what SEO hero means. What does it mean for your career? And what is it, where do you want to take it? I think that, so for me, SEO hero means that um, SEO is basically a huge part of my life because as I said, I've been doing it for over a decade and it has helped me to, um, first of all, like find all the jobs that I had, like all normal jobs that I had. Then after I moved to Canada, it helped me to find a job in my niche because I know that many people, when they come as immigrants, they have to work at uh, some like um, a different jobs, right? Uh, that were That are very different from what they used to do. Uh, in their home country, right? So I was really lucky because SEO does not require any certification. Like, for example, if you're a lawyer or something like that, it's so much trickier. So SEO helped me a lot. Another thing is that I'm also contributing to the SEO industry a lot. I've um, I've been doing uh, trainings for when I was working full-time, I would train people, like naturally would train people there because... You might not know, but I'm a teacher by education. I never thought that I was going to be a teacher, but here we are. So now I'm doing it at scale. So I my mission basically is to improve the quality of the SEO professionals out there uh, through my courses. That's why now I'm uh, providing um, SEO courses. And I actually have lots of and lots of posts on LinkedIn and Twitter, free posts about different SEO uh, stuff that people really love. So for me, SEO is not only what I do, what I would do daily uh, on my job. It's also the industry uh, that I'm really grateful for and also the industry that my mission is to improve. Awesome. And and yes, SEO is one of those amazing careers where you don't even have to have a great grasp of the English language. As long as you know how to find problems and you develop your communication, then that's your starting point. And then you can work on your communication or language skills to take it to the next level. So thank you for being such an integral part of the community, Christina. I know your courses that some are free, but some are paid, but that's okay because you share a lot on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And so that's, you know, that's also amazing. There's a price point for everyone and, and you deliver value at every single stage of the journey. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that is a wrap. I trust you enjoyed this lovely conversation with Christina. 
In the coming episode, we're also going to have another consultant, Tom Critchlow, come onto the show where he's going to explore his experiences uh, and also as a hiring manager. So until then, stay safe, be kind to others and stay curious. And I'll see you in the next episode.